Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hi, guys. This is so ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're late. late. Like, asking us to do things that involve technology when you know that we're technologically challenged, or at least I am, is challenging. So we are officially on Instagram and Facebook, hopefully. We're live. Thanks for tuning in. This is our 100th episode, so we're doing something a little special in answering some of your questions. So feel free, anyone who's on, to ask us any questions that you may need to know. Yeah, we got a lot of questions. We got some in advance, and we're starting to get some now, so we're just going to go to it. Okay. Yes, I am married. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nobody asked that. Okay, our first question comes from someone on, I think it was on Instagram, asking, can I ask for a weekly phone call from my child's regular education teacher, her special education teacher? My daughter can't tell me all the things that happened to her in a day, and I have no clue really what happens on from drop-off to pick-up. Oh, yeah, I saw this on Facebook, I think. Great question. So we do get this a lot. We get asked a lot about communication between home and school and what is allowed. I guess the short answer is it depends. <laughs> I know it's a very lawyer answer because it just depends on the circumstances. And <laughs> there's no like hard and fast rule. There's nothing in the law that says you can or can't. I think you need to be practical. I think yes. a communication log is something that we generally typically like to request when there's a lot of things going on. There's communication deficits on behalf of the child that may not be able to give you a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And I think that district people out there that listen to us appreciate this answer. But where Amanda's coming from is that it might be warranted. Maybe the special ed teacher and the regular ed teacher need to have consult time so that they're talking together. We can go through a plethora of different scenarios. And this is a good time to say that we are attorneys, but we're not your attorney. So everything that we're talking about here are these general questions and our general answers. But I think that Amanda has a good point in saying that it does depend because sometimes there are instances where it may be warranted. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about safety or we're talking mm-hmm. about extreme behaviors, we're talking mm-hmm. about a student with a severe mental health issue, we're talking about, you know, or sometimes uh, it, like in high school, the case y- carrier can get all the information. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen IEP Mm -hmm. where it's a 10-minute phone call in the IEP. So I'm not saying it can't happen. It definitely can. I mean, I think weekly communication is very practical, Mm -hmm. very reasonable, whether or not it's on a phone call or maybe, say, Mm -hmm. in a communication log or an email. Mm -hmm. I've had set up where we actually put together, like, a spreadsheet or Mm -hmm. and it's like a chart that gets put in a booklet and Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. provides information to the case carrier and then the case carrier provides it to, you know, the parent or maybe it's email um, some schools have really good like teacher websites that they can mm-hmm. do it on. I think it's reasonable to ask for a weekly communication, whatever that might be. But case by case, it's going to be mm-hmm. talking to the teachers and seeing what works best for both. Because and for administrators and teachers too, like sometimes they suggest let's do email, but right. sometimes parents can't do email. 
I mean, it's yeah. just not practical. They get a lot of emails yeah. and maybe they have multiple kids mm-hmm. and it's difficult. And one teacher one year may be able to give you that 10, 15 minutes, 30 minute phone call each week. And that's in your IEP. And the next year you go and that teacher may be better at email. It just varies so much. I think having a little bit of grace and understanding the restrictions the mm-hmm. teacher has on their time, the other student's time, I think that there are a couple different ways that you can get to what you want because if you just really truly want to know what's happening I think a communication log that an aid or like a chart like you were saying yeah will get you the information that you want right. especially because there's going to be a lot of days that while the individual task the child does and how they perform might be a little bit different mm-hmm. the routine of the day is going to be pretty similar so when you get down to you know what is it that you're truly looking for you're looking for information about how the day went, right? Your child is nonverbal, so they're not able to tell you, you know, I did this experiment in science, or mm-hmm. I had a hard time with my math, or I didn't finish my project, so I got to do it at home. Mm-hmm. That's all stuff that can be written down. I mean, a phone call, I think, should be reserved for when there's something that's more pressing. There was an incident that happened at school with a peer, or there was an accident in some way. Maybe there was an extreme elopement, mm-hmm. or maybe there was a good success. Like there's a story that the teacher wants you to tell. I think that's very reasonable, but I think administrators and teachers would probably thank us for saying, I think a phone call weekly, every single week is just not manageable, considering how many students that these teachers have in their class. I've been listening to a great podcast called Professional AF, and it's Diana Kander, who's amazing. She is somebody that kind of goes into businesses and kind of revitalizes them, gets them on track. And she's been interviewing all these like great people, and she had this person come in. It's about raising, like, it was this woman that, like, basically, like, her three daughters, one's, like, the co-founder of the 23andMe. Mm. Oh. The other one is, like, CFO or CEO oh, wow. of, like, YouTube, and the other one is, like, some, like, crazy researcher and they're like how did you raise this like perfect I think it was like her first episode of season two I mean I'm forgetting the woman's name apologies but one of the things and this may be for your high functioning I don't know your daughter I don't know if she has communication issues but you know they were talking about how uh, Diana's own son he's like five and she'd always be like how was your day? What did you do? What's happening? And it seemed like an interrogation. Yes. And so even just being thoughtful for our higher functioning kiddos that can articulate how their day went, I think they're still going to be like, what did you learn? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I get that with so many kids that I talk with, all my friends' kids. You ask them, what did you do at school today? What did you learn? And But if somebody said, how was your day, Amanda? You're just like, fine. Like, you yeah. know, and then you could keep saying that and maybe something fun happened. Yeah. But one of the techniques that they'd used was sharing your own so it'd be like I had a really fun day today we learned this and somebody in on Diana's own Facebook group had said oh I tried a different way of like asking my child and I had said oh today we did something really fun at work like I did this and he was like we had something fun today too I learned this about science and it was just like she had gotten so much more information that way well it's crazy you say that because I was listening to an episode of the Lucky View podcast Mm -hmm. with Terry Brown who I'm very excited to say is going to be on our podcast soon I I just saw the like calendar invite breaking news (laughs) she was talking about how just in general we ask kids in general too many questions Mm -hmm. it's a lot of pressure to answer questions not only in the like test scenario of in the classroom of asking them content questions but Mm -hmm. also just what we're talking about what did you do today what did you learn what did you eat what did you do that's so much pressure for them and so what she talks about is not asking so many questions and doing just what you said Mm -hmm. sharing first or like if the teacher 
provide, and this works even for a nonverbal child. If the teacher or case carrier gives you a breakdown of like some things that happened, all it takes is you just saying, it looks like you did some experiment with, you know, X, Y, and Kinda Z. Like that it. sounds like a mm-hmm. lot of fun. That in starts a conversation, but it's not a question. So there's not as much pressure on the mm-hmm. student because I think kind of what she was trying to get across is when you ask a question, there's a lot of pressure to answer the question right. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when we're asking kids questions, they mm-hmm. think there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Yes. Right? Yes. And so if you're asking a question, there's pressure. They don't want to get it wrong. So a lot mm-hmm. of times they're going to say, I don't know, because they're afraid of answering wrong and not saying what it is that you want them to say. It's about them thinking you have this expectation. So by mm-hmm. trying to open up a conversation without mm-hmm. a question, it takes a little bit of that pressure off. This is the problem with listening to so many podcasts. <laughs> I don't know if this was a conversation that I had with somebody or it was in the podcast. Guess the same one the professional AF, but it was you know this child was having anxiety and he didn't and they couldn't understand like why he's having all this anxiety he didn't want to go to the principal's office or something had happened and they finally asked him like what is all this anxiety mm-hmm. he's like bad kids go to the principal's office I don't mm-hmm. want to be a bad kid and it was like he wasn't even supposed to go to the principal's office for anything bad it was yeah. like I forget what it was and like I said I literally have no context as to whether this was on a podcast or not but that in and of itself is just taking a moment to and it's very hard last time you were five years old I mean do you really remember that some people do but like a lot of people don't and I think that that's one of the things that we're kind of seeing when we're speaking to our clients and that's why we always want to have an Mm -hmm. opportunity to speak to the child because that is who our client is because we get more insight as to like really what's happening we're still learning how to ask the right questions too but this is just food for thought yeah I think uh, and yeah and then the other part to it is I get a lot of families and a lot of parents who want to know 100% of what's happening in their child's day and sometimes it comes from wanting to make sure your child's safe and doing well when they're nonverbal or they're not able to um, articulate exactly what's happening to the extent that I get that this may be an unpopular response but it's okay not to know 100% what's happening in the classroom. If your child is safe and learning, I think it puts a lot of pressure on you. And Mm -hmm. I'm not a parent, so this is coming from someone who's not a parent, but to the extent that I see parents stress a lot about every little thing that's happening in their Mm -hmm. child's day, and that puts pressure on you. And I think if your kid is doing okay, there's going to be some things in their life that you're not going to know. And I think that I think pertains to everybody's life, right? There's things Mm -hmm. that we don't know what goes on in our spouses or our friends' lives or our families. And we, to a certain extent, have to be okay with the unknown to a certain extent, Mm. because if we worry and focus on every little thing, you're going to get so burnt out and anxiety ridden, and you're not going to be able to focus on the good things. Mm -hmm. And especially like when you think about a, a child is in school for 40 weeks from preschool to 12th grade, it's a lot of years, a lot of days. Most of the time, a lot of those details you don't even remember in six weeks, let alone mm-hmm. maybe tomorrow. So the mental energy, I think, mm-hmm. that goes into worrying about all those little things. There's important things to worry about. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And it's important to know what's happening. But I think that's something just to think about, that if your child is healthy, doing well, happy in the classroom, safe. That's Liam. He's got a ball and he's... Wait, sorry. Did you already go into the second question or Mm -hmm. is that just like you basically answered it? So one of them was, it has to be the classroom. In the classroom one time per week on my daughter's IEP, she's in kindergarten. So I think that 
Amanda was just talking to that, right? A lot of times there's helpers in classrooms. Somebody was just telling me that they wanted to be a helper in the classroom. It was a dad and he's been pretty vocal at board meetings and things like that. And essentially he was discriminated against. They're like, no, we don't need helpers in the class. You can't have helpers in special day I've classes. I've seen that before too. Someone who is too vocal at IEP yeah. meetings. It's on the board that they're asking for volunteers, but all of a right, sudden we don't right. need any. So that was like a very specific context in which it was just like, yeah, no, they can't do that. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where what the IEP is almost kind of like a promissory note. It's like the district's promise that we are going to work on these goals in this classroom setting, providing these services. So while at times we find accommodations such as there's a fifth grade teacher and they don't allow any water bottles on any of the students' desks, but your child requires water throughout the day, that is an accommodation that needs to be made. So I think there are certain things that you can put in the IEP, but trying to force the district to have you in the classroom one time a week is probably not feasible. There's liability issues with that. And we see that sometimes where parents want their private ABA aid to go into the class. There's some districts that under their policies allow it if there's enough insurance, liability insurance, all this. And there's others that say absolutely not for whatever reason. I know like new regulations come out, at least for early child (laughs) care, that anyone who even steps foot into the classroom has to be fingerprinted and has to have, you know, the background checks Mm -hmm. and everything. And I know, so the difficulty is, is that if you're in the classroom on a regular basis, you Mm -hmm. do run the risk of there are safety concerns revolving around that. I think if your classroom or your school has a policy that volunteers are allowed to do certain Mm -hmm. things, then absolutely volunteer for that. Mm -hmm. Do that. But if they don't have a policy, there may be certain restrictions in terms Mm -hmm. of how often that can be. And the reason for that is if you have 30 kids in your child's class and all 30 parents wanted to come in once a week. Think of Mm -hmm. how much of a distraction that would Mm be for the classroom as a whole to have that many adults there all the time. So there's that. And then sometimes kiddos they do act differently if their parents are there. And so, you know, there's a balance of that. But they cannot discriminate against you. If Mm -hmm. your child is an IEP, they can't Mm -hmm. say that you're not allowed. Um, Mm -hmm. If they have a policy on volunteering and they have the need. I'm seeing a lot more, especially in our elementary school classrooms, where the schools have their assigned reading groups and they have the classroom delineated by reading level. And it's a set curriculum that's done for each of the reading groups and a lot of times they don't have enough adults to do that so they often use families parents to kind of fill that void to help so you can always ask your school do you have something like that can I help with that or even I remember as a kid my dad would come in and do like reading the read aloud kindergarten through like third grade I Mm -hmm. think they do a lot of the read aloud Mm -hmm. so like my dad always volunteered for that Mm -hmm. so he was always in the classroom reading different stories to us that's something that's easy to volunteer putting in an IEP probably not I don't think I've ever seen that I don't know how feasible that would be just if you understand what an IEP is and that it's the district's promise that they're doing those things. So our next question is about after high school. Mm -hmm. So I think we've talked a little bit here and there about that. Just to summarize, there's Mm -hmm. a number of different options after high school. So the first designation to think about is 
is your student on a diploma track or a certificate of completion mm-hmm. track? That's California distinctions. Other states have specialty diplomas, and there might be like three different tracks. But in the SPED world, no matter what state you're in, you have until the age of 22 if it's needed. So if you need the vocational life skills, self-help skills, mm-hmm. if you still need a little academics, like they're going to be a fifth-year senior or something like that. So there's, from the school district angle, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But then if once a student gets a diploma or a certificate of completion, there are options. We're seeing a lot more four-year colleges coming up with programs for our students with intellectual disabilities or living on the spectrum. And there's a certain extent in which a lot of community colleges are in partnership with districts, so you have to figure out where the funding's coming from. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what we see is we'll see a kiddo get a certificate of completion and a school district has a program, a vocational program, they call it vocational, but the child is going to that community college. So Santa Ana Unified, just off the top of my head, has a partnership with Santa Ana Community College, and so there are opportunities for children that have the completion of certificate are able to take a couple classes there. And so the district is still in control. They can right. provide certain services to help that like child within, yeah, in that structured setting. However, if a child is 18, let's say they get a diploma and they're done with school and the district is done with them. They're like, okay, goodbye. And they go to a community college on their own or they get accepted to a Cal State or a university. Once you're 18, technically, the Americans with Disabilities Act kicks in. And so there are college campuses where there are disability rights centers or things like that. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of talked about this a little bit, or maybe we haven't where when it's coming I think to we've the SATs. A little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and, it and provides so, accommodation. And those are provide, yeah. So then those are our kiddos maybe that are high-functioning autism that are freshmen at, you know, UC Santa Barbara. And so they would go there that they would take the test separately and they have those centers. So those are the types of there's not services. Yeah, it's not as robust as your IEP is going to be. But what it is, is that the ADA and Section 504, the Rehabilitation Act does account for certain accommodations for our students, whether Mm -hmm. they're in a junior college or a four year college that the colleges are required to follow. They're also required to prevent against discrimination, bullying, harassment, the same way that our K-12 schools are. Mm-hmm. And the main difference is there's not an IEP. There's not those related services, speech, mm-hmm. OT, specialized academic instruction. Right. It's more of those accommodations. Right. Something like what Extra you would see time. on a 504 plan. Mm-hmm. And then the other main difference is the burden is now shifted. In K through 12, the burden is on the school district to plan out and implement and provide. provide. But now in colleges, the burden is now on the student to provide the school with the need and the request for the accommodation. So typically, like Vicki said, there's those centers, there's a specific place Mm -hmm. in the university or junior college that the student is to go to. And typically we say, bring your last IEP, bring your last assessments, bring any diagnosis paperwork. And most schools Mm -hmm. will do the best that they can to provide the accommodation similar to what you had in your IEP or 504 plan. Mm -hmm. There are more and more schools that are coming up with programs That's above what and you beyond were talking about. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but is not At something that they are required yeah. to do. And it's like tuition law. puts within it tutoring services. So right. you could have a college that says we offer tutoring services mm-hmm. for adults with special needs, but it might be an extra, you know, five thousand dollars in that child's tuition or young adults' tuition. So that's how. But a lot of these programs are also even just 
marketed that way where you're getting a college experience but and i hate to use this but it's just the only way like and we're holding your hand so it's a lot more supportive but it's not because the federal law is requiring them to do it it's just they saw a need and they wanted to approach yeah it's almost like if you think about our private schools our private k-12 through schools that provide specialized education for kiddos in this population it's almost like that. I mean, and some of them are public colleges, but they've created these programs. So you're paying tuition, you're getting yeah. a service, which is great because it, it provides that opportunity. But you're going to get a different kind of planning, which may or may not make it better than your IEP in high school. It just depends. Oh, great. Now the font got smaller. <laughs> what does the law say regarding being in classes with same age peers? What if a school is only offering inclusion time for a sixth grader with eighth graders because of scheduling problems? Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking you were going to go the opposite way where we've had fourth graders in like a kindergartner class. Well, and I've had it way. both ways. Mm-hmm. Now, to the extent that a certain mainstreaming or inclusion is appropriate, it's okay. Mm -hmm. So if you have a kiddo who social emotionally is below their same age peers and academically the same, but we haven't retained them, they may benefit from mainstreaming, say, if they're in fourth grade in a second grade classroom because Mm -hmm. they don't require the content to be modified. So to the extent that that is appropriate for that child because they get the benefit of being in a genetic class without modifications and their social emotional skills are not harmed in any way, it's appropriate for them to be in there. But certainly if a student stands out and their either maturity is above or below the age of that class, that's not appropriate. So if a school is saying the only class we have available that your kid can be mainstreamed in is this eighth grade class when you're a Science sixth grader. Class, that's yeah, not, that, appropriate yeah, not appropriate because <clears throat> that's not appropriate age-wise, ability-wise. Not to mention that that is them just putting your kid in a program that already exists rather than creating a program that meets their individual needs. Yeah, I mean, it's about role modeling. So obviously we would want children to be with their peers that are modeling what typical sixth graders are learning and doing and how, you know, are, is a typical neurotypical sixth grader taking out their notebook and taking notes right away? Is that what our kiddo needs to watch from others to learn? You know, at times if they're just saying, well, it's just going to be more appropriate because we have an aid during this eighth grade class and it just makes no sense, then the law would shut that down very quickly. But I think that Amanda kind of hit the nail on the head when she was talking about, well, you know, obviously we have different kids of different maturity but if you have a child that's six two and in the eighth grade and you're trying to put them in a class with kindergartners, absolutely that is yeah, not no. appropriate. Yeah. When we get to high school, it's a little different. I've seen well, special day classrooms, a thing, right? An eighth grader where you would be... have a freshman in with a senior, yeah. potentially, yes. But, but I've seen classes. some parents get you know really flustered with that. But certainly, we don't want a child that is at eleventh grade level learning what the freshmen are learning mm-hmm. when. He already did that. So those are some things to keep in mind when you're looking at when mainstreaming is happening or even just socialization with other or not socialization, just like the the class instruction. Because we got to look at at what is the purpose behind this inclusion? Is it for social emotional? Is it for academics? Is it for both? And, you know, generate it to where that works. It serves the purpose that you're looking for. So, you know, it's going to be very circumstantial. It's going to be depends Mm -hmm. on your child's circumstances Mm -hmm. and the IEP teams 
you know, and I was in an IEP meeting a couple months ago where I had a team say, well, it's just not appropriate to have a child in with peers that aren't their same age. We can't do that. And I said, well, it can be appropriate in circumstances for a child whose social emotional maturity isn't to the level of their same age peers, and they're able to benefit from peer models and learn communication skills from someone who is younger, whereas if they were with their same age peers, they're not going to gain anything from it. Mm. The purpose of that mainstreaming of developing the social skills and having social communication doesn't serve the purpose to do it. So there's no flat rule that just because a child is on paper in eighth grade that they can't be in a seventh grade class it's just within reason or vice versa it's just you got to look at the circumstances you gotta look at the individual needs of the child Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. and what are we gaining and what are we not i think a lot of times districts like to just have a hardline rule but that's not life life is not black and white life is not black and white and neither is the law yeah even though well, <laughs> not in this area. No, not in this area. When it is yeah, yeah. so flexible because yeah. it's so individualized. So our next question is talking about paraprofessionals, which I recognize we probably should have a, a whole pod episode on AIDS. Um, there's so much we could talk about, but this question is about what happens when the child doesn't have good rapport with the paraprofessional and mm. what if there are complaints? And we get this a lot. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that in a lot of school districts, the paraprofessionals or the AIDS, you know, there's going to be a lot of turnover there just for the extent that these are hourly employees typically who, for the most part, are college students or people who have part-time jobs for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I was a paraprofessional when I was in college so there's nothing to diminish you know they love anybody in just kidding (laughs) but there's different levels of abilities and different purposes i was in an iep today where they were talking about one of the aides that was with the student i was having the iep about their aide is a mother of a high schooler who Mm. this is like something that she's passionate about and you know there are those people and i guess she had been doing it for like 15 years so okay but for the most part a lot of these aides are in school to become teachers or Mm -hmm. to become school psychologists or occupational therapists so they may come and go and so because of that because of the turnover there may be some that are just you know i mean even if you have the most professional and qualified people as every single one of your aides your child may not have good rapport with a certain one person or another, there's going to be sometimes issues where there's not good rapport. So what do you do when there isn't good rapport? I think it's important as soon as you know to talk to the IEP team about it because a service, is it only is working if it's working, if the student is benefiting from it. So just like we would say, if a student is getting speech therapy and they're not making progress in the type of therapy, then sometimes we have to think about what are some alternatives. So like if they're individual and they're not generalizing skills, we may need to think about doing group sessions. So we want to make sure that it's working for the child. So the IEP team does have an obligation Mm -hmm. to make sure it's working. And I think something, you know, other than just complaining or having an IEP meeting about it is to see if that person needs additional training. Maybe that's something that they're too afraid to ask for, but maybe they've never dealt with a child with autism or the type of autism or behavior that your child has. Mm -hmm. So maybe sometimes it's just them needing more training. And I think that that is something practical that you can ask in a practical solution if they don't, you know, because a lot of times we have kiddos that do better with male aids and the line is, well, we can't discriminate, you know, and, but there's times when 
the male aid may be needed because if the child, again, is 6'2", and a junior in high school, and they need help with toileting, it's then not appropriate to have a female in the bathroom a with 5'2", aid is not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, you can't make those requests, and, you know, personalities do differ, but I think that a practical solution might be asking for more training for that aid. Maybe they'll be more comfortable, and maybe then that way, the issues that may have been happening. Now, obviously, if anything happens that just does not sit well, then you go directly to the administration and you get that taken care of and for you, sure. Yeah, you have a right um, to mm-hmm. complain and say, I think that this is not an appropriate relationship mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. this good rapport. You mm-hmm. have a right to ask for another aid. Now, the important thing I would say that if you're going to do that is get more information at your arsenal to prove why it is that it's not working. So one of the things you can do is you can ask how much communication and collaboration does the aide have with the general ed teacher, the special ed teacher, the occupational therapist, the speech therapist, because if that aide is not doing things the way they're supposed to, Mm -hmm. but they're not being told how to do it the right way, it Mm -hmm. may not be their fault. So it may not be something where, well, this is just not an aide that's trained well. It's just, we need to build in that collaboration collaboration. If the aide is expected to do something, for instance, help encourage positive behaviors and implement a reinforcement schedule, Mm -hmm. that aide needs to be trained on how to do that. And there needs to be like regular check-ins with the behavior specialist to make sure mm -hmm. that it's because if we have to make changes, they're the ones. Who but I changes. also think you need to have role definition, yeah. because if you think that your aide has to reteach your child, that is not appropriate. Specialized academic instruction should only be administered by a special education teacher in conjunction with the general education teacher or vice versa. Teachers have those certifications because they are certified to teach your children. Oftentimes right. what we see is an aide reteaching, and that may be different, right, because they are getting the instruction and the supervision of the teacher or the RSP teacher. But I think that that's where we run into a lot of confusion for parents is that they're saying, well, the aide needs to be doing this. And it's like, no, 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 no. Your aide shouldn't right. be teaching your child. The aide should be there for positive reinforcement mm-hmm. or getting attention for your child or getting the accommodations implemented because your child's not able to. The aid is not there to teach. So maybe even starting from that position, and maybe the aid is doing more than the aid should be doing. Or what is the designation of the aid? Because if the aid is a behavioral aid, the aid should only be addressing behavior. If the aid is an aid that's what we call an instructional aid or an instructional assistant, they can do a little bit more of repetition. So not reteaching, but more of the rephrasing or repeating mm-hmm. instructions, mm-hmm. breaking down instructions, you know, making sure that they can be redirected to the information. Mm-hmm. If the child needs to refer mm-hmm. back to a passage, you know, they can help assist with like that sort of mm-hmm. thing of their instructional aid. But you got to go to the define of the role. What is the role of that aid? What is their And I like um, having training. plans for the aids too, because, yeah. you know, when we are getting aids in middle school, we don't want the child to have an aid. You're not going to have an aid in real life. So having a plan, I think think, or a fade out. I think that that's really helpful too. And that should always be key. Even if you're just getting the aid and it's second grade, okay, what, like I said, role definition, what is the purpose of this role? Exactly what Amanda was saying, like what is in the parameters? I think that that's just easier for everyone because if the aid feels like they can do more, that's a conversation that can happen within the team with the teachers. Like, but when people start doing more than they're expected to, they know or above their pay grade, essentially, that's where I think a lot of 
of the miscommunication and when the child doesn't work well with the paraprofessional will happen. Right. And I think to that extent, too, Mm -hmm. you know, it's difficult sometimes to change staffing because you as a parent, while you can insist that the person working with your child has the appropriate qualifications to do mm-hmm. what it is they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. if the role of that aide is just to support minimal support to your child, the qualification is low. So you can't necessarily say that because there's bad rapport. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, to the extent that it might be a denial of FAPE, the way that the aid is being implemented, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But if you're going to come in and say, you know, I think that we need to change the aid, sometimes... and the school oftentimes Mm -hmm. will say, well, no, that's not possible. That's the only aid we have, whatnot. So what's the next step? Well, Mm -hmm. the solutions are talk to malfunctions. Instagram. (laughs) Sorry, Instagram. Good thing we're going to wrap up with this. (laughs) The one thing that can often happen is, like I said, go to the IEP team and talk Mm -hmm. about how often is the aide talking with the rest of the IEP team? Mm -hmm. And what are they talking about? And are Mm -hmm. they being trained? Mm -hmm. Because maybe things aren't going well because none of that's happened, but maybe we can implement that and then Mm -hmm. it'll go better. So just some strategies that might help, asking a lot of those questions, finding out information, and you might find out that's not happening and the team realizes. Yeah, I mean... Good stuff. So that is our 100th episode that will be dropping next week, week after next, which is the what week you're right before seeing event. live. Yes. So if you're not watching this live, you're hearing this on Tuesday in a couple of weeks. If you are watching live or yes. even if you're not, remember our event is on October 24th. October 24th. It Thursday. is Thursday at 5 30 5 30 5 30 we're having an amazing panel again if you need to bring your kids bring your kids you can buy tickets at the door yes or online or online ahead of time inclusive education project (laughs) i see some people saying i'll be there (laughs) (laughs) we're so excited to be with you live again then if you did like this live recording because i can't say facebook live or instagram live because we're doing both well you just did (laughs) if you like this and you want us to do it again please let us know if there were questions that you asked that we didn't get answered we apologize we only have limited time but we want to answer your questions so we will definitely go ahead and do another one of these or we're going to do podcast episodes generated towards some of the questions that we didn't get a chance to answer and we hope to see you we we are going to do something for the people on the east coast oh yes you posted on that thank Thanks for listening on the East Coast. <laughs> Hopefully, and so we'll play around with the time if we have to do this again. We picked three, obviously, people that are in California that are still working. Maybe they're taking a break watching. Thank you so much. And we were hoping to catch some of the East Coast people at six. We'll play around. You realize with the you timing. might be with your kids yeah. making dinner, That's why running we're recording around. It. So hopefully, we'll do it again. You guys enjoyed it, and thanks for tuning in. We we'll will see you later. Bye. Bye.